We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, there's my microphone. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing. It's Tuesday, March 6, 2018. Love it when people come in and play around with my board. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we'll be joined by Justin Brown of Hill Vets to talk about the latest and greatest taking place on Capitol Hill that will affect us, the veteran community. And later, we'll be joined by the Chief Operating Officer and Interim CEO of Hire Heroes USA, Chris Plamp. We'll talk to Chris about his time in the Air Force flying the legendary A-10 Warthog and how he came to be part of the amazing Hire Heroes USA team that has some huge things planned for 2018, including an initiative that focuses on our female veterans. All of that and more on today's edition of the show, and it starts off now as we welcome super producer Jake Hughes into the studio. Oh, Jake, they've turned on you. Oh, no. Oh, yes, yes, people, please control your reactions. It's uh, I know I'm so awesome that you can't possibly fathom it so it goes in reverse order, but uh, please, you know, contain yourselves. <laughs> eh, screw all of you. <laughs> These are the jokes, people. Get used it, to them. It took them a second to figure out how they wanted to respond to what you said, but Jake, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good, Eric. How about you? Uh, I'm okay. I, yeah. Yep. Um, um, so my efforts to get back into a shape other than round uh, continue, and last week, I didn't really talk about it on the show, but man, I goofed up my arm on Wednesday night at my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class. And I wish I could tell you it was doing something cool, like learning some new arm bar or going for a rear naked choke. No, I'm fairly certain that I messed it up during the warm-ups, either trying to do a cartwheel or a front roll, which is basically just when you're doing a somersault. <laughs> One of those two things, I either whacked my left elbow or overextended it. I'm not sure what I did, but it hurt. And by Friday, it hurt more, so I couldn't go on Friday uh, I decided against it. I just didn't want to hurt my arm any worse. Decided, ah, I'll relax for a couple more days and rest it and then get to uh, to yesterday and went there and, and everything was better. So, you know, it, it hurt a little bit afterwards, but it didn't hurt me during. I do still have, did I show you my, uh, you see that? Wow, yeah. people, this is a big bruise. It's about the size of a pan- of a small pancake. Yeah, like a softball or something yeah, like I know, that. Right? And that came from last Wednesday as well. Same day that I hurt my left arm, that happened to my right arm. And as Jake just described, the size of a uh, a good-sized pancake or a softball on the uh, bottom side of my right arm. What happened was uh, my partner for doing drills last Wednesday, he's a heavier guy. He was probably upwards of, uh, he was at least 275 pounds, and his entire weight came down on his palm and landed on that fleshy part of my <sighs> arm as I was laying on the ground and squished it. And uh, it hurt when it happened. Then I didn't think about it. And then the next day, because my left arm was bothering me so much, the next day, all of a sudden, it started stinging. 
was like, what's going on with my right? Oh no. Oh no. That's, <laughs> I looked at it in the mirror and thought, Ooh, that's not good. And now it looks worse almost a week later. That's when you know it's a good and by good, I mean bad bruise. When a week later, your arm is still black, essentially. That's that's what happens when you get one of those bruises. But, of course, you're listening to The Morning Briefing, the number one morning show focusing on the veteran community and experience and taking a look around the website that we're affiliated with, of course, which is ConnectingVets.com, brought to you by Entercom, Connecting Vets Every Day. Uh, some top stories on there. This one was upsetting. Uh, you know, the, the news came out yesterday, uh, may have actually been Sunday night, but that the uh, ISIS, those guys, uh, you know, <laughs> not very nice people in any way, uh, kind of on the downturn, it would seem, in the Iraq and Syria areas. However, they've spread over uh, large portions of northern Africa. They've spread into Afghanistan. And in Niger, where, of course, we had some of our uh, U.S. Army Green Berets and their uh, support staff uh, killed a few months ago, ISIS released uh, a propaganda video that took video from the helmet cams of some of those American soldiers who were killed. Um, The Pentagon says they won't authenticate it. It doesn't really matter. We can tell what it is. We can see what it is. We know what it is. Um, You know, it's it's a propaganda video, and it's the kind of thing that, Uh, ISIS is really known for, again, you know, they are not operating under the same restrictions that we are or any of our allies are, or even many of our enemies are. There are no Geneva conventions for ISIS because they haven't signed on to anything other than you do not want to be captured by ISIS. They will do bad things to you. Death, destruction, torture, beheadings, things like that. Um, it's kind of their MO it's what they do. So, you know, this isn't particularly surprising. Um, it is upsetting. If you want to watch the videos, you can, they're out there. I recommend against. Yeah. You know what? I, I'm, I don't know if I agree. I'm one of those people who believes like you need to understand what something is to be able to confront it. You know, I, to me, it just seems exploitative of uh, American soldiers death. Well, it's not, you know, see, that's, that's where I would disagree. Well, it's well, not trying to make money off of it. We need to know what we're up against, and you want to see what these guys are doing. It's it's It can actually be helpful. You know, it's like when people say, uh, you know, with the, the beheading videos, I know people who are who will talk about how, you know, the terrorists, they're not that bad. It's we've really forced them to do a lot of the things that they do. I mean, yeah, they do horrible things, but they've been forced to do it. And then I ask them, well, have you ever watched a video of them sawing someone's head off with a knife? No? Well, then I don't think you understand exactly what they're all about. That's the point of view that I take. I I totally understand yours, and I understand what you mean. I I don't think exploitative is the right word. They're not trying to make money off of it. Right. Well, it's more of they they made this for propaganda, and by watching it, you're accomplishing their mission of getting their message out. Uh, If you know something is propaganda, it's already a failure as far as propaganda goes. (laughs) I mean, like, if if you know it's propaganda, you're not going to watch it and go like, oh, okay, well, now, now I agree with these guys. It's not not very likely to happen that's that's how i look at it you know everybody's got different ways of looking at things but i uh, i did watch the video because I, I wanted to see what it was i wanted to understand what they were trying to do uh and when if you do decide to watch those videos uh it's rather clear that this uh, group of uh, i believe they were african union soldiers uh, soldiers from niger and other places 
that had uh, about 14 Americans traveling along with them. Again, that's kind of what the Green Berets do. They train foreign military units. Uh, from the sound in the video, it certainly seems like the unit was heavily outgunned. They weren't that outnumbered from the reports that I've seen, and the official report on this is supposed to come out any day now. Uh, it doesn't seem like they were that horribly outnumbered. It wasn't like 300 against 40. It was more like 60 against 40 or 70 against 40, but high caliber weaponry that was being used against them. Um, and again, ISIS is an organization that that will use whatever means they have to accomplish their ridiculous and awful mission. And if that means turning uh, 50 caliber rounds on human beings, which technically you're not supposed to do under the Geneva Conventions, 50 caliber is an anti-vehicle round. You don't use it against personnel. Uh, they don't care about that. They they obviously don't care about that. So, you know, I, I, I understand absolutely your point of view, and I don't hold that against anybody who doesn't want to watch it. Personally, I want to see the bad things because I want to understand. When they were talking about ISIS beheading aid workers, uh, that's, that's one thing when it's kind of in the ether and you're thinking about it, when you actually see what's happening and you see the glee that they take and the terror that's on these people's faces, uh, it makes you angry. And I think that's a good thing. I think that it lets you know, like, Hey, this is a true enemy that we have out there. There is no redeeming quality about them, uh, which, uh, it kind of leads to my thoughts on them, which is kill them all, essentially. Yep. Get rid of them all. Send uh, send Tim Kennedy and send uh, <laughs> send everybody else over there and uh, let them go ahead and take care of these uh, monsters, which they've been doing. Uh, but we've had a few, and really this was the big one, but a few examples where uh, you know they, they came out on top in one little, little spot. And this one cost uh, the death of four U.S. soldiers uh, in this incident. And now we have this uh, this video. And one of the things I saw people talking about on social media was how it might be a good idea for the U.S. government to find a way to encrypt the helmet cameras and the body cameras that our military have so that in the future, video like this can't be used for the purposes that ISIS was trying to use it for, which is a propaganda and recruitment tool for uh, the disenfranchised youth who are thinking, well, there's nothing going on for me here. Maybe I can go with them and be pretty cool if I got a big gun. And, oh, look, they're taking out the Americans. They're the bad guys and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that that's who their target audience is. Um, how successful will it be? I don't know because they've got a lot of bad publicity going on right now um, with the fact that they're losing territory left and right. And their people are surrendering and some of their leaders have been caught, although not the big one. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who is the leader of ISIS. I don't think anybody knows where he is. This could be, though, one of those situations, Jake, where he's been dead for two years and nobody knows about it. I mean, he's if he were dead, and I thought that this may have been the case with bin Laden, as he was so hard to find, uh, yeah. it was difficult. But if they, if someone is actually killed in a strike, but it's not able to be verified by the enemy, that makes them almost more powerful. Like now they can't be, if they've already been killed, but everybody thinks they're alive. Now they can't be killed. Now you have a phantom, basically a ghost out there. That's uh, uh, the boogeyman. And it could be one of those situations because I believe al-Baghdadi was, was basically stationary. They kind of had an idea where he was, but he was in a city, and you can't just level a city to get one guy. And there's also questions about exactly how much power he wielded within that community. Yes, he was their spiritual leader, but he wasn't really a military leader or anything like that. Um, yeah, interesting questions uh, still to be answered with ISIS. But uh, again, I think the answer with ISIS is kill them all. Yeah, I agree. Them. There you go. Yeah, and I think... 
most people in the world agree with that. I mean, there, <laughs> this is kind of odd where, uh, you know, I won't say bedfellows exactly, but different uh, confrontations can make for strange uh, agreements. This is one where Al-Qaeda and the United States actually agree that ISIS is not a good deal, <laughs> and they will both want ISIS gone. Of course, they're not working together to do that. All right, taking a look at some VA issues, and those are always going on. I mean, we were just talking last week about your issue with having an appointment canceled 45 minutes after you arrived to wait for that appointment is when you were actually told about that, and only because you went up to ask about it. Nobody came over and told you. I had a similar issue where I sat there for uh, a couple hours and didn't realize they had gone by because there was a good movie in the lounge on TNT. And Con Air is a good movie. Yeah, Con Air is a, yeah, you know what Con Air is? Con Air is a popcorn movie that you just sit there, you watch it. It's not a great movie, but it's a good, fun, stupid movie that uh, lets you kind of kill time. Steve Buscemi, Danny Trejo, Nicolas Cage with long hair. Oh, and that man. atrocious Southern accent. I don't understand what you mean. That accent is good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who else was in that? Um, uh, John Malkovich. Was, yep, Dave Chappelle. Dave, Dave was Chappelle was uh, the guy that they dropped out of the wheel well with the message scrawled on yep. his body, the bad guy, I think. Yeah, John Malkovich, that's right, Cyrus the Virus. Anyway, uh, that's a movie that uh, focuses on your United States Army because the character of Cameron, do you remember po. what his name? Cameron Poe. Oh, so the guy talking about what a bad movie it is knows everything about it. I huh? know bad movies. Trust You're me. Secret Con Air admirer. Cameron Poe, a former Army Ranger in that movie, which had one of the most ridiculous courtroom scenes ever at the beginning where it's like, well, because you were an Army Ranger, you are a trained weapon of death. So even though everything you did was entirely justified, I'm sending you to prison. What? No, that's not how it works. That's not like you should have known that you could have killed them. Yeah, I guess he did, but they shouldn't have attacked him. I mean, that, legally, that judge would have been just removed from the bench for what he did at the beginning of Con Air. Uh, but that's one of those things. When you're like a little kid, you used to hear about things like that. Oh, yeah, his dad's in the army. Basically, he's a human weapon. So if he ever uh, punches anybody, he goes to prison for 25 years. <laughs> you're like, oh, really? And it turns out his dad is like admin. Yeah, he's a clerk. <laughs> filing paperwork <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty, he's basically a human weapon they've I'll, classified him uh as a category three human weapon <laughs> i'd give you a paper cut that would never go away yeah well i'll give you orders to a command you'll never want to go to <laughs> that, that's the that's, that's who wields the true power we should probably stop joking about those guys but i'll put the, me back on active duty the issue i had where i was watching con air and sat there for two hours and then all of a sudden the end credits ran and was like oh oh the movie's over and i still haven't been seen that happened at the Northport Medical Center, the VA Northport Medical Center in Northport, Long Island. Um, they, I want to say about a year and a half ago or so, because I actually did an interview with them about this when I was working at 1010 Winds News Radio up in New York City. They had to shut down their surgery rooms because there were issues with stuff coming out of the ventilation and it, surgery rooms need to be a sterile environment. There was dust and other crap coming out of the vents. They had to shut it down. So I did an interview with the uh, head of the medical center as well as like one of their PR people and other stuff like that. Funny, when I was trying to talk to them when I worked at a smaller radio station on Long Island, zero response. When I worked at 1010 Winds, they called us back immediately with the big, bass, big boss on the line. Um, <clears throat> they have had to do it again. Really? Yeah, last week. So the second time in a, a 
basically within the last two years that they've had to shut down their surgery facilities. And our Jonathan Copanger reports on ConnectingVets.com. You can find it on the main page. This is the latest in a string of serious infrastructure problems that continues to affect services at the Long Island facility with the backlog of maintenance projects at Northport estimated to top $279 million. Wow. They have almost $300 million in backed up maintenance projects. Now, it's a huge facility. It's it's almost like a military base in the middle of Long Island. It's kind of odd. When I first went on there, uh, the very first time when I moved out to Long Island, I was confused. I was like, I didn't know there was a, a military base on Long Island because it kind of looks like an older army post. A lot of brick buildings and just uh, it, something about it just didn't feel right to me. It was like, this is the VA? What's going on here exactly? Um it turns out it is just a VA facility, and it, but it was a massive area. There's housing on it for uh, various people that work there and for veterans. It's a big place, but it's also a fairly old place. Now, according to a post on their Facebook page, surgeries were canceled for three days last week so that they could do maintenance work on the HVAC motor. So that's, of course, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. Uh, normal operations resumed on February 27th. And it was 2016, so I was right about a year and a half ago. Metal fragments blowing from vents into the operating rooms. Can you imagine being the the doctor or, God forbid, the patient getting surgery at a VA facility and all of a sudden little metal chunks start coming out of the vents? Whoa. What even goes through your mind at that point? I have no idea. I don't even know what to say. Yeah. So that was... uh, you know, kind of the first big issue that they had. I mean, as I said, I was at 1010 Wins, New York City's number one news radio station, and it was a story that we were running for a couple of days. So talking about big news. And then in January of this year, the veteran homeless shelter at Northport was forced to close when its HVAC system failed. 33 vets had to be relocated to other facilities on Long Island. Repairs won't be finished until this summer. That homeless shelter is right next to the hospital. When you park at the hospital, if you are on the, well, the right side, if you're looking at the door over to the right, there's a parking lot that it shares with the shelter. And I remember talking to some of the guys that were staying there. Um, Again, older buildings, but uh, older buildings that were not originally planned for what they are. The hospital was originally planned to be a hospital, but the shelter actually in 1997 was converted from office space to residences, essentially. So they didn't need the office space anymore. Let's turn it into a homeless shelter. Uh, But officials say that the electrical system in the building was insufficient to support the new HVAC system. There were also problems with cooling towers, uh, the resignation of the medical center's engineering director because of that. Uh, that was, I mean, really just uh, a rough time. And that director of the VA hospital that I spoke to up at Winds, he's gone. A new director, Scott Guerman-Prez, started in June of last year. About the same time, top deputy retired, chief of staff and head of nursing, temporarily reassigned to duties away from the medical center. It's crazy. And here's the thing that really adds to why this is a big problem for the Long Island veteran community, which is one of the largest uh, locations uh, as far as veteran population uh, in the country. Last year, the Northport VA Medical Center lost more than $9 million in federal funding because it failed to complete maintenance projects in a timely manner. They were a four-star medical center (laughs) for the last two years. 
Uh, in 2015, they had a two-star rating. Here's the question. Metal chunks blowing out of the HVAC, having to shut down a homeless shelter, uh, losing funding because you're not getting maintenance done in time. The uh, engineering director fired because of cooling towers. Actually, he resigned before he could be fired, I guess. That's a four-star facility? Yeah, I don't think so. That's you know when you that's why when you look at this these lists and you're like oh look four star five star facility what does that mean and if this is a four star facility despite those problems they were having maybe it's because they excelled in other areas but when you see the ones that are one or two star facilities what are these places I picture something out of like a Nightmare on Elm Street where. <laughs> <laughs> or it's Silent Hill video game, you know, where like the, the walls are just covered in blood and rust and there's just, uh, you know, monsters roaming the halls trying to eat people. I mean, if this is a four-star facility, what is a two? What is a one? It's it's hard to fathom. Um, I've been to, as I said, the Northport VA facility and the infrastructure of it, the building itself, never seemed bad to me didn't seem old seemed fairly modern seemed like things were kept up pretty well but obviously there are significant problems there i mean if you're just looking at the surface of things and not getting down uh, into the bowels of a situation or a building it's going to look differently on the surface i mean you can you can take something an old rusted out car give it a fresh coat of paint and it's going to look great still a rusted car underneath that paint um it's sad to me and especially because nassau county and suffolk county there's like I don't know, 7 million people living on Long Island, and there is a substantial veteran population out there. I mean, that hospital was busy all the time. It's packed. Um, it's very upsetting when you hear about one that's one that you've been to, and you've had issues with that as well, I'm sure, with going to the one in D.C. and hearing about the director of the facility being fired and then them being forced to bring him back on due to a, some sort of labor judge deciding that and then being fired again under the new rules. I mean, do you think for some people that it hits a little bit closer to home? I mean, I know it has for me, and I, I would think it has for you, but do you think it hits closer to home when it turns out that it is a facility that you're personally familiar with? Well, yeah, because you go there and you receive treatment there, so when you hear about the bad things going on, it's going to be more impactful. But I think that you have to take these things as isolated cases. You I mean, well, yeah, okay, I agree that a four-star facility should not have metal chunks blowing out of the air vents. Yeah. But uh, like you said, they may excel in other areas. Like if that's the only issue is their HVAC system, right? then, you know, their mental health care may be excellent or their, you know, uh, yeah. their treatment for women veterans or these other things. They maybe. have hospice care. I know there's a facility there for terminally ill veterans. Right. Um, one of my buddies from the VFW post would... Uh, he he didn't he was disabled himself and wasn't able to work. He would be there every day volunteering with them. So there is a lot of great work that they're doing there. But again, as we talk about the age of it, here's the details, Jake. The VA Medical Center at Northport is 91 years old. So when I say it feels like an old school army base, I really mean that. There are 42 buildings in this entire facility. The main hospital building, the one that I'm most familiar with, was built during the Vietnam War. So, I mean, even that building, which is uh, the, the main aspect of it and the main focus, is now 40-plus years old, 45, 50 years old. So, I mean, it is, uh, it, it's something that happens to buildings with age, but you got to fix them and you got to maintain them. And, uh, you know, I totally understand what you say is looking at them in isolated incidents, but you know, this is now since 2016. They've had to shut down the surgical facilities twice for the same problem. And that's when it starts becoming, 
you know, systemic. Yeah, less isolated, certainly. Um, again, it's it's uh, <laughs> 2015, they had a two-star rating, and then 2016 and 17, the years that they had to shut down the uh, 16 is when they had to shut down the facilities the first time. Uh, 17 is when the uh, director, uh, engineering director resigned. New director was brought on board. They were a four-star facility for those two years. What was going on in 2015? I just don't know. I yeah. mean, I was there like 2012 and 2013. That was the time frame that I was uh, was using their facilities. And then I got onto my wife's insurance and uh, kind of never looked back towards the VA care just because of the convenience of the civilian care for me and the less less time to wait and less drive time. I mean, the VA Northport facility was not far from my house. It's like a 20 minute drive or something like that. But, you know, my doctor's office after I got on my wife's insurance was a five minute drive. And then the pharmacy was not a three hour wait to get a bottle of, uh, of, of, you know, antibiotics or whatever. So yeah, um, it was a place where I had minor issues, nothing world stopping, just inconvenience issues essentially, but these are serious ones. And when you're talking about surgery and metal parts blowing out, I mean, we had that horrifying story of a surgical instrument that was left inside of somebody at a VA hospital. Uh, you know, well, if there's metal chunks blowing through the air, you've got someone with open heart surgery going on there might be a chance that some of that gets in there and that can lead to some significant problems we're more about solutions than problems here at the morning briefing i'm your host eric dame jake hughes is your producer and this is the tuesday edition we have christopher plamp the chief operating officer and interim ceo of higher heroes usa he's going to join us in just a little bit and so much more that is going on on today's show you absolutely want to stick around and pay attention it's the morning briefing tuesday edition eric dame and jq's finishing up our first segment we've got a lot more to come and there's a lot more at connectingvets.com. and if you follow us on social media at connecting vets on facebook twitter instagram and youtube morning briefing back after this Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing, Tuesday edition, March 6, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Jake Hughes is your producer, and ConnectingVets.com is your website. And we mean that. Created by veterans for veterans, ConnectingVets.com is connecting vets every day by being your one-stop shop for all things veteran-related. Whether it's news, advice, a little bit of info that might help you find a job. Yeah, did you know? that Hilton has hired 10,000 vets in the last couple of years, and it's worked out so well for them, they just announced they're going to hire another 20,000 by 2020. That's a big deal. How about Microsoft? For those of you more interested in the technology than the hospitality worlds, Microsoft is looking to add veterans to their IT department. Doesn't get much better than the IT department of Microsoft. There is so much on ConnectingVets.com for you. I really, really encourage you to check it out and tell your friends and share with them and share our links and get our stuff out there. And of course, follow us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You know, I was just talking about how there are jobs out there for veterans. And 
We, of course, know that there are veterans out there looking for jobs. Although sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect between the veterans and those companies looking to hire them. Maybe your resume isn't quite what it needs to be. Maybe you've done a lot, but you don't have the best uh, idea of how to let civilian companies know about that. Maybe your interviewing skills uh, leave a little bit of something to be desired. Well, you're in luck because there are organizations out there that work tirelessly to help veterans overcome those obstacles. And one of the best ones is Hire Heroes USA. And actually, Hire Heroes USA, former CEO and now board member and UFC veteran and Marine Corps veteran Brian Stam was the very first guest here on the morning briefing of our very first show back in June. And we are now pleased to welcome the interim CEO and chief operating officer of Hire Heroes USA, retired U.S. Air Force Colonel and A-10 Warthog pilot, Christopher Plamp. Chris, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing great. So first, before we get into Hire Heroes USA and the amazing things that you guys have already done and the amazing things you have planned for 2018, let's find out just a little bit about you. As I mentioned, a retired colonel. Uh, what was your, uh, what's the brief tale of your service? When did you join? Where did you serve? And what did you do while you were in? Well, I first started back in uh, 1984 when I went to the Air Force Academy and then uh, got commissioned in 1988 when I graduated. Um, ended up going to pilot training in Columbus, Mississippi. Got my first choice of aircraft, which you mentioned before, was the A-10. Enjoyed flying it for uh, over a decade. Went into uh, special operations for a little while and then came back out, flew the A-10 over in Afghanistan, and then moved into the uh, unmanned realm and was the commander for a Predator squadron that flew in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, went into the training world. Ended up uh, my last assignment over in Germany, uh, working for NATO as the director of an air operations center that controlled the aircraft that protected uh, Northern Europe. Very cool. And I think the coolest part of that, just because when I was a kid, I had a book about U.S. military aircraft and the A-10 always stuck out to me as just being the coolest aircraft. Of course, with the GAU-8 Avenger Gatling gun up front, uh, how proud are you to have been one of the pilots of one of the most legendary aircraft in the United States Air Force arsenal? Oh, it was phenomenal. I mean, it is an airplane that I love flying every time that I got into the cockpit. It is. It was purpose-built to do one thing, and that was to help people on the ground. And, and part of it that attracted me to it was the mission. Um, I read a book when I was going through the uh, through pilot training, which was called A Lonely Count of War, where it was about Vietnam Ford Air Controllers supporting special operations and conventional forces on the ground. And it really put something in me that said, this is what I want to do. And the A-10 was custom built to do that. The, the cannon on the front is, is the most flexible and one of the most lethal weapons ever put into an airplane. And the ability to have that at a moment's notice ready to support the guys on the ground was always amazing. The maneuverability, the ability for the airplane to, to go exactly where you wanted to do and deliver almost any kind of ordinance. I, I absolutely loved every moment that I flew it. Seems that anyone associated with the A-10 just loves that aircraft almost as much as they would a family member or a child. But we're speaking with Chris Plamp, retired Air Force Colonel, A-10 pilot, interim CEO and COO of Hire Heroes USA. Now, Chris, 
A-10 pilot is a very cool job in the military. Um, there aren't many civilian jobs that allow you to basically uh, go out there and provide ground fire support for people. So <laughs> let's talk about your transition from the Air Force. When you retired, how well prepared do you think you were for that? And what was the transition like? I mean, did it go well or did you have a, a bit of a struggle? Well, I was less prepared than I thought that I was, to be honest. Um, especially after serving almost 26 years in the Air Force and, and doing a lot of things, I thought that I would be better prepared. But what I found out is that I didn't want to go and do exactly what I'd been doing, which is hard to do, obviously, as you said. But even just to go be a commercial airline pilot didn't hold an interest for me. I also didn't want to work for one of the, the bigger companies that was going to try to sell airplanes back to the military, where a lot of my friends had gone. But as we as I know a lot more now that I've been working at Higher Heroes for nearly four years, a majority of the people that we work with that are getting out of the military don't want to go do what they did in the military. And so that obviously added to the complexity of mine. Along with that, as many service members find, I was transitioning while I was stationed in Germany, which makes it much harder to do interviews and, and connecting with companies back in, in the States. Um, but it's where I really learned that I had I had a skills gap. I had never interviewed for a civilian company. I had never made a civilian resume. I had never networked before in the civilian community. And those are all skills at which uh, which can be taught um, and that military members need if they're going to be successful further on. And, of course, the organization that you are the chief operating officer of and interim CEO of, Hire Heroes USA, focuses on just those things. How did you become familiar with Hire Heroes USA, and then how did you become a part of their team? Well, it was really interesting. I was actually going through an interview sequence with a major company and had an offer from another one. And I saw an ad on LinkedIn um, as I kind of taught myself to network in to uh, into the civilian job market. I saw an ad for the director of program services for Hire Heroes USA. I read more into it. I reached out, and uh, then I got a call from Brian Stan, um, who have, you've had on the show before, as you mentioned, your first guest ever, and and we had a discussion, and he explained to me what Higher Heroes was. I will tell you that I then found the nonprofit sector, as I learned more about it, really attractive um, because it has a sense of mission. You're surrounded by people that, that are trying to do social good, and in many ways, uh, that strikes a chord uh, with the military side of me that, that I feel I was doing that for the country as I was serving before. And that is something that we've noticed from a lot of people. And, and of course, uh, Brian is an amazing salesman for anything that he is interested in and passionate about. And Hire Heroes USA, I know, is something that is uh, near and dear to his heart. So I, I imagine he got you pretty pumped up for becoming part of the team. And it's a team that's doing amazing work. I mean, when we look at 2017, the... Uh, confirmed hires of people who went through Hire Heroes USA's programs. The document for that, it's a PDF that's available. People can find it at the website, HireHeroesUSA.org. It is 194 pages long with, I don't know, about 20, 25 people for page. I mean, I went to print it off before we were doing our interview, and I've got people mad at me now because I used up all the paper in our printer, and the traffic guy was like, well, what am I supposed to do with my traffic reports? And I said, I can't help you. Sorry about that. But um, when you look at what Hire Heroes USA was able to achieve in 2017, one, do you think that this was a successful year for the organization? And two, do you think you'll actually be able to improve on it for 2018? 
Well, first of all, absolutely, it was a successful year. We got over 8,000. Uh, we helped 8,000 people find new jobs, um, which was a record for the company, uh, grown by about 26%. Uh, overall, matter of fact, yesterday, we, uh, we just went over uh, 23,000 people that we have helped in the lifetime of the organization, both military veterans and their spouses, um, find new employment. And so by all measures, last year was a very successful year for us, even though, of course, we always want to do more. Um, as such, we're continuing forward. We've got a lot of great partner or, or partners that are providing us funding uh, that are going to continue to enable us to grow. We have demand for our services, and which I think is going to continue. So I do expect to do better uh, this year than, than even the 8,100 or 8,161 that we helped last year. 8,061, sorry. And that's a significant number, 8,161 veterans who may still be struggling to find employment or find the right employment, employment that they're qualified for. Because one of the other issues that we have, and this kind of goes unspoken, where we kind of think about the fact that if a veteran has a job, they're okay. There's a lot of veterans out there who are underemployed. They're doing jobs that are, you know, maybe they are qualified for something more, qualified for something where can, they can make more of an impact on society, more of a difference. How big do you think it is to make sure that veterans don't get complacent thinking that the first job that they got is the best job that they'll ever get and making sure that they are able to uh, essentially prepare themselves and market themselves for the best possible opportunity that's out there? I think it is absolutely critical. Um, we, we started tracking about 18 months ago, and we asked the question when people apply for our services, and we ask if they're underemployed, if they think that they're making less money than their skills, their talents, their education should be getting them. Um, as we, we started to find out, and this, this actually started with a project we did up in Idaho where we found out, though, though veteran unemployment was very low in Idaho, veteran underemployment, the jobs they were in were just not what they'd been trained, the level that they should be at. And as we started to track this information, uh, people would actually come in and they would say, yes, I am employed, but I'm certainly not earning what I need. I'm not earning what I think I should be getting. And what we found is that just going through our program, having a resume that speaks to your military skills, knowing how to network, how to talk about yourself, how to give the right elevator pitch, how to negotiate for a salary how to go in and interview and present yourself correctly. And the military service that you did and the skills and the education that you have, our average raise in salary for those individuals is $26,000 a year. That's just by them being able to present what they did in the military. They, they've gained great, valuable skills. They've gained all this experience, and they've done it in some of the most trying situations. If they can explain that to the employers and the employers understand the talent that they bring uh, to the workforce, we're seeing that they're very highly sought after at that point. And that is, as we've talked to more employers, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, earlier in the show Hilton, who was on just last week, who said, you know, they, they had a plan to hire 10,000 veterans. Uh, of course, Conrad Hilton, the founder, and his son, Barron, both served World War One and World War II. Um, that, that there was this desire to hire veterans, but then when they realized what contributors and what impactors veterans were on their company, they decided they wanted to hire twice as many after that. So have you found that, that companies respond to the, the ability that veterans have to not just work, but to make an impact on the company that goes beyond what they were hired to do? Yeah, what we see time and time again is that the companies, once they establish a good veteran hiring program and they bring the individuals in and they 
give the individuals time to show what they can do and watch them progress into the company, they want more of them. They always want more of them. They're always asking us, you know, hey, okay, that was great, but can we get more veterans into work for us once they've seen the impact that they have for the company, once they see the skills and the talents that they bring? Uh, We've seen it time and time again with with major companies. And, of course, there are many aspects of the veteran community that that need help finding jobs or maybe it's not even help is the right word that they just need uh, to be pointed in the right direction to get some things that we've talked about over the months like resumes interview skills get those things to where they need to be to present themselves properly to those employees or employers i should say Uh, one group of veterans that is particularly underserved in many ways and i think uh maybe maybe even in looking for jobs is the female veteran population are women veterans. We've talked about at the VA, there are programs that were designed specifically for males that just don't work quite well when they're being applied to our women veterans. Um, I understand that Hires Hero USA thinks that this is an issue, and that's why they have a March initiative that's focusing attention on U.S. military women and veteran women. What can you tell us about that initiative, Chris? Absolutely. We're we're calling it looking at their success after service. And, and to me, this is really in two ways. Number one is to ensure that they have success after their service. Number two is to celebrate the success that the women veterans have had after their service. I mean, just in my lifetime, uh, women have been allowed into military academies. They've been able to fly fighter planes. They've been now able to go into any branch of the military. They are now general officers. They have been breaking ceilings even while I was in service on a routine basis. They go into service knowing that they're going to be a minority, um, but they serve right alongside without complaint, without asking for special privilege. And then this, they have additional barriers as they're getting out. They're an untraditional veteran. They're not what the company is expecting when they think they're gonna bring in and, and interview a veteran. Um, and that can raise questions. And I, and I think what we're trying to do at Hire Heroes is to show how successful these women can be. They have developed skills and talents and overcome obstacles throughout their entire career. And they're going to come out and they're going to be stronger and better and a better workforce for it. Um, we want to celebrate their accomplishments. We want to ensure that they receive the same opportunities as every other veteran out there. And we want to make sure that Hire Heroes is presenting our services so that we're we're understanding their, their unique challenges um, in their transition into the workforce. So it's, it's an internal one for us to make sure that what we're doing is correct. And then we also want to let the companies, we want to know other veterans and the civilian population to understand the unique challenges and barriers to employment that they have and help them overcome them. What are some of the things that we can do to address those issues? I mean, we talk about the obstacles. We're talking about helping our women veterans uh, overcome those obstacles, adapt and overcome. Uh, what are some of the ways that Hire Heroes USA and, and, and anyone can do that and can help our, our sisters in arms? Well, the first thing is just talking about it. The first is just the, the public acknowledgement um, of their willingness to serve or the sacrifices that they've gone through and then the talents and skills that, that they bring to the work workplace. I hope that by just some of that conversation, um, we will get some of the companies to, to think a little bit differently or for people to recognize it and do all the rest. Other than that, internally, uh, we're making sure that we are giving opportunities um, where they feel comfortable coming to an event, where they have the right person to talk to, where we refer them to 
good organizations to help them overcome their barriers to employment. Anything that we can do to recognize those barriers and help them overcome them is, is what we're trying to do at Higher Heroes. And I understand that recently and more coming up during the month of, Mar- month of March, there have actually been exclusive employment workshops for women veterans and active duty military. There have been two that have taken place in the last few weeks uh, in San Antonio and San Diego. Uh, there's more set up for Colorado Springs, it looks like, a virtual career fair on March 15th for those who, who don't live close enough to those. Um, how How successful have those been uh the two that have taken place and and what are your hopes for the rest of these uh these women-centric initiatives for the rest of march they've been incredibly successful um in terms of the women that have gone have have told us that that they feel like it's a outstanding opportunity for them to communicate with other women veterans to share stories to share what you know challenges they have had um, and an opportunity for them to re- receive our instruction in an environment that they're exceptionally comfortable with. Um, and I have to point out that, that these workshops are specifically funded by an organization uh, out of California, the Cheryl Saban Foundation, um, that has done great with us working towards this effort and is really coming together in this, in this March initiative that we're doing. As the woman service member population increases the woman veteran population will continue to increase it's the fastest growing segment of the veteran population uh, that being all taken into consideration and the fact that they you know they may have in the past made up less than one in ten veterans now they're growing each and every day how important do you think it is for the entire veteran community men and women to realize that our, our again our sisters in arms are becoming a larger part of the veteran community and it, it's something that we should focus on. Now, would you like to see more focus on helping woman veterans uh, achieve as much as they can after they get out? Absolutely. Um, I, I will say that we're still in a transitional phase. Uh, the, as I talked about during my time in service, we saw a lot of new things that women that women service members were were able to do, achievements that they occurred. I mean, a classmate of mine, uh, Martha McSally, went on to be the first you know, a uh, fighter squadron commander to serve in combat and is now a, a U.S. congressman. Mm. Um, these are these are incredible achievements that, number one, we need to celebrate. And number two is it becomes more and more um, of the percentage of veterans going through. This is just going to be a natural evolution. But we're in the middle of it. Um, we're not towards the end. So as this continues to go and, and, and changes happen, I think it's something that everybody needs to be aware of. I would certainly agree with that. And, you know, I, I came into the military 14 years after you did. You uh, were speaking with Chris Plamp, who is a retired Air Force colonel, A-10 pilot, and now chief operating officer and interim CEO of Higher Heroes USA, an amazing nonprofit doing great work to help veterans get prepared for getting hired in the best possible job for them in the civilian workplace. I joined in 98, and my first ship that I went to in the Navy was in 2001, the USS Saipan. And when I got there, the first females were coming on board. The ship had never had females on board until the 21st century. And then we had the first female captain of a large deck ship come on board months after that. So, I mean, this transitional period, it, it may seem uh, like ever to, to people like it's been going on for a long time, but it's all, it's all fairly recent. And I think uh, there's been a lot of good movement in that but certainly there needs to be more movement would you agree absolutely i think that that's a great story um in terms of how recent it has been um 
and it is, and it's it's not going to stop anytime soon. I mean, they're continuing to open. They've just opened in the last few years more combatant positions for women to go in. Even though they've been there for a very long time, they've been serving side by side with men in the military. Um, as it continues to be more prevalent, and they make up a larger a larger percentage, it's something that the American public and the American corporate structure need to understand. And one of the groups helping them understand that is, of course, Hire Heroes USA. You know, March, you have this initiative focusing on women veterans, but Hire Heroes USA is focused on transforming military service into civilian success across the board. Looking at 2018 and beyond, what do you hope for the future of Hire Heroes USA, Chris? Well, the big thing is, is, to, is to continue to expand. Um, we, we have more people applying for our services every week than we can actually handle. And so that means we need to continue to grow. We know regardless of whether a veteran unemployment is up or veteran unemployment is down, the individuals transitioning out still need that help. They have, they have a skill that they don't have, and that's how to go and find a job and successfully navigate the civilian job market to have a great career. Uh, we're there to do that for them. But we need to be there for everybody that needs our help. And, and that's our biggest challenge at that point is to continue to expand our program so we can help every person that needs it as they're getting out of the military. And that is uh, truly a fantastic goal for an organization to have. Now, what sort of programs can people uh, find at Hire Heroes USA and where can they go to find out about them? Sure. Everything about Hire Heroes is on our website at www.hireheroesusa.org. They can register for our services. They can read about what else we do. Our core services are you will sign up. You'll be assigned to a single transition specialist who will talk to you over the phone, email, Skype if you want, a text message, whatever way is best to communicate to you um, to help you through the process of knowing how to craft a good resume, knowing how to network interview, um, and then get ready and help you prepare for your civilian job. Uh, along with that, we have workshops, both in-person and virtual workshops. We have a job board. Um, we do periodic webinars about uh, key subjects. And then we also have just information on our page about um, training programs that are available to you, either through the GI Bill or for free, um, about educational opportunities. And also, we put most of our information right there in case you just want to get on there and read our resume format is there or anything else of the information that we can give to you. All of that is available on our website at www.hireheroesusa.org. And having spoken to several people that have gone through Hire Heroes USA's programs, uh, one of the things that they've all focused on and said was most uh, beneficial to them and different from a lot of other organizations is that their uh, their counselors, as it were, the people who were assisting them, stayed in touch and kept checking in and were personally invested in making sure that they were out there looking for work, that they found the right job. So Hire Heroes USA, uh, it, it makes an impression on those who take advantage of the programs Available. And if you're interested, HireHeroesUSA.org is the website. And we want to thank Christopher Plamp, Interim CEO and Chief Operating Officer of Hire Heroes USA, retired United States Air Force veteran, for joining us here on The Morning Brief. And Chris, thank you so much for your time today. We greatly appreciate it. Eric, thanks so much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure and just a pleasurable show overall today. Our thanks to Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hill Vets. Remember, two Hill Vets House opening. So if you're looking for a job in politics, trying to get onto a congressional staff, 
Yeah, you may want to look into that. It's hillvets.org. Morning Briefing Tuesday edition coming to an end Wednesday, about 24 hours from now. See you then. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.